0: This is Tamika Kasten Miller with Think Flow Grow Live. And I am here today with my co-host in life and of today's podcast, which is Lenny Kasten Miller. Today's episode is um, is is focused on the or is called the life in times of fear. And we're talking about um, times in which we're really dealing with um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of f- fear, of course, um, delusion, um, and and uh, and PTSD really is what's being seeded, and um, and so I wanted to talk to you guys today, and I wanted to have uh, people here who can speak to. Speak to these things because of of living them and because of um, also having moved beyond them oftentimes. And then, of course, if you are a mental health professional, then I'm excited to have you here as well. And I know that Sylvia will be on here. Um, My goal is to actually have this podcast last one hour. Um, This (laughs) podcast episode, our live episodes usually go a little longer, but my goal is that it is going to be. Sixty minutes, um, so that there we, we all have our ideas. Shars is laughing out loud at me right now. All right. <laughs> the very first thing I wanted to do was define um, these these things: anxiety, uh, delusion. Uh, fear and PTSD. I wanted to define them according to what is um, traditional thinking. And then I also wanted to provide some perspective um, based on history and coming from a yogic uh, philosophy standpoint or yoga, yoga philosophical standpoint. And so, um, uh, but before I do that, I'd like for us just to um consider all of these things as a part of um what I would call false f- sometimes false knowledge. Um, and so we'll and we'll get into that. And there's a this is a concept in yoga that is called um uh Vipariyaya. Or wrong knowledge, which is the foundation, I think, at a at a lot of these these issues that that are that is based on real things, but that we've taken and we've started creating um, imaginings that create horrible things. Um, so we'll we'll go into that as well. So the very first thing is something I think that we can all relate to, which is anxiety. I mean, I feel like anxiety is. I'm not going to say an old friend, but like a friend that um, that certainly or is a neighbor. You know, anxiety is the neighbor that you see every now and then. And sometimes you need to go over there to ask for a cup of sugar. And, and then you have a conversation and start talking about things. And the friend invites you into their house and bada bing, bada bum, you're in anxiety's house. Um, at least that's how I see it. Because for me, anxiety isn't somewhere where I live most days. It is a place that, um, that is visited for me. And I definitely know that there are people out there living in anxiety's house. Um, so if you are a person who lives with anxiety um, on a consistent basis, definitely please call in and share your experiences with that. So what is anxiety? Well, it is, according to um, the powers that be out there, um, it is actually your body's natural response to stress. It is a feeling of fear or apprehension about what's to come. This is according to um psychology today this is this is what it is it's a body's natural response to stress so i think sometimes we get really we start to feel really bad about ourselves because we have anxiety or we experience anxiety but the truth is is that it's very natural to have anxiety because we're stressed all the time and that stress can be small or huge Um, and of course if we are in a really large stress response then anxiety is going to be bigger but it is this this fear about what is to come. It's not about what is happening right now, and I think that that's something that is really um, important to acknowledge: is that anxiety is not a present; it's felt presently, but it is about um, a, it is about a future thinking. Mm-hmm. So. Um, in that, then the responses to that are definitely um, creations, then they're manifestations of our imagination because we haven't we haven't actually experienced whatever we're fearing, which is then causing the anxiety. Do you have any thoughts on that, Lenny? I don't
1: know. I just think anxiety is natural.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's definitely natural.
1: I never really thought about it as
0: present past or future tense though? Yeah, it's actually, um, really interesting for me to realize that anxiety has nothing to do with something that it could have, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with something that I've experienced. Um, and so in that regard, it's, it's a little uh, disconcerting that that can be something that I've completely made up. And this leads me to um, talking about actually um, the what in yoga we call the uh, states of the mind or the the mind stuff. And essentially, in yoga, we say we understand that there are five states of the mind, or there are states of the mind, and they either cause f- misery or non-misery. And so when we're hopefully we're in that non misery state that that yogic state that blip, that being okay with things state but oftentimes we're not and so when we are dealing with um anxiety which is of course a, a misery state right we're actually deep in what's called vikalpa or or uh imagination we're just We're creating something that hasn't yet happened, uh, creating a scenario. And this is what's called vikalpa, which is creating a situation, essentially. And um, we can also think what's crazy about imagination to me is that um, we use imagination all the time to create beautiful things. So we're, uh, as Kim Pence said uh, on the uh, episode that we had with her, we're great manifestors. So we can either manifest something from our imagination that is, that is positive and beautiful. Um, an example of this is when we're kids and we are um, creating uh, stories and art and all of these things that are, that are, that are of beauty. And but then as we start having experiences in life and fear starts being seeded, which, of course, also can happen when you're a child. I mean, I'm, I'm not a crazy person. Um, then all of a sudden, those figments of our imagination can start to be things that are really destructive and create misery. So um, and of course, again, anyone who has had any type of um, experience with anxiety, please do. And. Um, talk about, uh, call in and uh, let me know what you are thinking. When it comes to delusion, uh, the Oxford Dictionary um, defines delusion as an idiosyncratic belief or impression that is firmly maintained despite being contradicted by what is generally accepted as reality um, or rational argument. And it's it's typically a symptom of mental disorder. I'm like, ouch, okay. (laughs) Okay, Oxford, that was a little harsh. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) we have examples within the leadership of our country that shows us that that's exactly what happens when it comes to seeing actual delusional beliefs and behaviors i think the crazy thing is that when we're looking at delusion according to the dictionary um, we're we're seeing that these are are that that these are thoughts that are contradicted and and generally accepted as reality um or contradicted as what is generally accepted as reality and i think that what's really important about that um, is that what's generally accepted as reality could also not be true. So we could generally accept as reality that um, that all women work in the house and dim the lights when their husbands come home and, um, and greet them with a kiss and put the babies to bed and all those things. And that, of course, can not be someone's reality when... They're an LGBT person or a single person or don't want to have kids or whatever. And so I think it's a little dangerous to speak to what's generally accepted as reality because that that's not necessarily defined general, but, um, and I think within the LGBT community, we've had a lot of trauma because people have, have said, well, what you are doing who you are as a person, the life that you're living is, is not real. It's not right. And that is not what is generally accepted as a code of behavior in our family or our culture. That's what other people do, or that's what the French people do or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and that, um, becomes, uh, a point then of, of trauma because someone is saying, well, you're living a delusion if you think that you can, Um, live the life that this life because you are this is not what people this is not how people live life and this is the I guess the beginning of gaslighting so I just want to just put that out there because we'll talk more about gaslighting but I think that um, there is this there is a potential of gaslighting within this construct of delusion Um, and, um, and of course we all know that LGBTQ people were treated for having a mental disorder for decades, you know, this only stopped just recently. Um, so, and of course there are still people who are treating, um, LGBT people as having a mental disorder because they have their delusional ways of thinking about love and how they feel about themselves. And of course, when we talk to talk about. The trans community, this is super huge because they're like, oh well you're just you know you can't just go do whatever that you're living a, you're living a fantasy, you know. So this word delusion can be really problematic, I think because while there are some people who are definitely delusional in the way that they're doing the things or the way they're living their lives, um, there are also people who use that word as as ammo you know, against people who don't think like them and who don't buy into the agreements of um, of what's considered the status quo of a society. And I know for, for both of us, I mean, we've both had um, our p- members of our family, you know, try to gaslight us in the way that we...
1: Can we get a definition for gaslighting?
0: Oh, yes, gaslighting. <laughs> Gaslighting is one of my um, (laughs) oh, yeah, Katie is chiming in now. (laughs) Katie is very, very familiar with gaslighting. Am I right, Katie? Feel free to call in if you'd like. Um, We were actually just talking about this yesterday, but we didn't use the terms. But gaslighting is essentially when someone makes you feel like you're crazy for the way that you live or the way that you think. Um, or they try to make you feel crazy for the way that you think or the way that you're living. And they do it either by by with words, by telling you that you're you're you no, know, you're a delusional person, you're this, that or the other, or you're outside of the culture of the the family, or you're outside of the norm. You're not normal. And I get why
1: it's called gaslighting
0: why is it called gaslighting? I don't know. Why don't you look, <laughs> let's look. Does anyone know? Sylvia, do you know why it is called gaslighting? Shars knows Shars are you going to call or are you going to type it out? Call. Hmm. There was a movie called gaslighting. Sylvia is telling us, but I don't know. Oh, wait. Um, the
1: Google says, The term originated from the 1938 play and 1944 film adaptation, Gaslight, where the protagonist's husband slowly manipulated her into believing she's going mad. The name comes from a part in the film where the husband is using the gas lights in an upstairs flat, causing them to dim on his own.
0: Wow. So that whole new movie that's coming out right now about the dude who's like supposedly haunting his wife from the grave or whatever is all about gaslighting. So, um, oh, Shars has just typed out. There's a 1938 play and she's just, um, typed out what it is for our visual audience. Um, yeah, it's a person who is making you question everything that you think is real. Um I it, I just think it is first of all how crazy does the person have to be or how convinced does the person have to be of their own truth to like gaslight another person and are they aware they're gaslighting? I mean obviously in that movie he was but are people generally aware when they are gaslighting?
1: I think it's a case-by-case case basis.
0: And some people are psychopaths and some people aren't. <laughs> I think there are more psychopaths than we think out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, and this, the shitty part is when they're in our own families. Um, there are a lot of people who have gaslit me in my own in my old friendship circle just because um, I had a girlfriend and then uh, and then I had a boyfriend and I remember the the there was a group of lesbians that I used to hang out with um, <clears throat> it was a it was a meetup and I remember I had a girlfriend at the time when I broke up with the girlfriend that I had a boyfriend, because I love all people, regardless of their genitalia. Um, I, I had um, the people in that group were like, what the, what the fuck? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, I was, like I was somehow, you know, diminishing the group or I was somehow diminishing the culture by having a boyfriend. Um, this has happened to me as a black woman. You know, like, well, you have a white partner, so hashtag no black love for you. Um, I uh, I know that I've had conversations with, uh, with Shars, in which my friend Shars, in which we've talked about how just culture, culturally, as people of color, there are sometimes ways in which we're supposed to act according to our culture, and if we don't act that way, then... Then we're wrong or somehow out operating outside of the culture.
1: I think that's any culture. I don't think it's just a culture of color because even I white agree. people have a quote unquote civility that they're supposed to follow per their culture, and you get i guess, gaslit or whatever um, when you break that
0: mold, yeah, I think especially for I think especially for white women. You know, we talked about this last week as well where white women are supposed to act a certain way or supposed to do a certain thing. Are supposed to be gentle are supposed to be the homemaker and what happens if you're none of those things? What happens if you're what happens if you're a terrible homemaker? Does that make make you less of a woman?
1: No, it makes you a badass bitch cuz you better at something else than pushing out <laughs> babies and doing your man's uh laundry and dishes.
0: <laughs> Katie said it makes you a wild woman. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a whole book written about that, right? The Women Who Run With Wolves um, by Dr. Estes that talks about how there's a whole culture of people who do not follow the culture of their family. And, you know, of course, families have their own culture. And if you don't fall within the norms of the, your, fami- your family culture, then you're also... You know, the the black sheep, being called the black sheep is just a way of a family, an entire fam- family gaslighting you. Hmm. <laughs> and then the crazy thing is what I find is crazy is that oftentimes those those people are not operating within those norms because they're choosing it. They're operating within those norms because they want to maintain a system that oppresses them. It's almost like a Stockholm syndrome. Um, Alex is calling herself the black sheep or are you the black sheep or are you just the only individuated person in your family? I mean, I think that this is where it really gets interesting. I also find it interesting that there's nothing but women on this episode right now and that I'm just calling out men for not doing the work of being involved in the conversation and doing the work of working to evolve where the fuck are the men okay Jeff I see you all right okay Jeff is here all right good Jeff you better you better comment there's also a (laughs) 60
1: GHC we don't know we don't know we don't know we we don't know that 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 could be
0: anyone Jeff has single-handedly saved his entire gender by being Jeff's pretty awesome but Jeff is pretty awesome we know Jeff personally so Um, And he's done a lot of work. But where are all the other men? There are like 10 or 15 women on here and there's one man. Come on, men, do better. Jeff, share the episode and get other men involved in this conversation. Um, (laughs) All right. So we've so far talked about anxiety just a little bit. Oh, and Dimitri's listening too. So yes, yeah, so now we have two whole men on this. Jeff and his boo, that's what's up. All right, I love it. We also have people within the LGBT community who are listening. And I think that gaslighting is something we deal with on a daily basis. And it's not even necessarily because, um, it's not even necessarily because people are trying. When we look at heteronormative behaviors and heteronormative TV shows and heteronormative um listen to heteronormative conversations we never see ourselves that's you know h- how are we supposed to feel about our lives or like when the cheerio's I think
1: the media in hollywood has started to get better about that but i mean yeah it's still definitely a a white man woman centric mm-hmm. society with the 2.5 kids and chasing the joneses
0: Yeah. And FYI, having two kids is a lot. I'm just saying, don't do it. Stick with one. Just kidding. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, yes. I mean, but I remember when the Cheerios commercial did, um, what the Cheerios had a commercial where it was like two dads or something and everyone around probably a million moms, those bitches came out and they were like, this isn't normal. You guys are, doing this abnormal, unchristian like whatever, because apparently you have to be a Christian to eat Cheerios. And apparently you can't be an LGBTQ person and a Christian and just all the things that they were doing. So, yeah, I think that there are some shifts now, but there are also always those groups like A Million Moms that just make an entire, you know, movement out of gaslighting the lgbtq community yeah and it's only the lgbtq community it's nothing else
1: there's always going to be people who are in places of privilege that are bored and twiddling their thumbs at home and then they're like oh this is something i can protest
0: yeah this is an important point because we're going to come back to gaslighting later um but i do want to get into also fear now And according to psychology today, um, now mind you, I am not a psychologist. I've never claimed to be one. I know, however, we have one in our audience. So if I say something off, please contradict me and feel free to call in. But according to what I have found regarding psychology, um, about fear is that, and what I found to be fascinating is it's, it is part instinct. Um, But it is also part learned and, of course, is part taught. So we are in this habit of teaching and reteaching and learning and relearning fear, which then informs the instincts that we already have that are there. And, of course, this stress response is what is a result of it. So I just want to uh, to tell you guys what um, Dr. um, Theo to Saudi says, says about, um, fear, which is that, um, it is essentially, um, it elicits the, the, the fear response of freeze, fight, flight, or fright Flee, freeze means you stop what you're doing and focus on the fearful stimulus to decide what to do next. Um, next you either choose fight or flight Uh, you decide whether to deal with the threat directly or work around it so the examples here are you read a memo and your company's laying off people and that is that is um freeze and then you tell your boss why you shouldn't be laid off that's fight or you start looking for another job that is flight And when the fear is overwhelming, you can experience fright and then fright, you neither fight nor flee, you just do nothing um, except obsess about the issue. Like you obsess about the situation, you ruminate, you complain, but you actually take no action. And being continuously in fright mode can lead to hopelessness and depression. This is such a hugely important point right now. Because whereas many of us have experienced the fear of getting coronavirus or the fear of not knowing what will happen when we go outside and when we interact with other people, um, we are actually being uh, imposed almost into this fright mode because of media and also because of the fact that we can't go out there and go do the things that we would normally do well, I'll put normally in, uh, in air quotes. And and so, yeah, hella people are, are stuck in fright mode right now. And um, Alex says um, in the comments that she's always in fright mode. And I was just talking about, talking about this yesterday with a friend who will remain unnamed about being stuck in the churning wheels of... Fright actually never leads to action. You still have to, at some point, step out and and do something in order to 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 actually stop those those consistent wills turning. And of course, it's going to lead to a sense of hopelessness. Of course, it's going to lead to a sense of depression. If you're like obsessing the entire time about the problem and um, but but doing nothing about it, of course, you're going to feel hopeless. I think that the people who I know who have gotten out of really fearful circumstances have done a lot of work. And actually, that is why Lenny is here. Um, I'm John Snow. I know nothing. <laughs> You're not John Snow. Um, and we learned that John Snow actually did know something at the end of Game of Thrones. But I digress. So this, this leads us directly into PTSD, which is... You know, which according to the American Psychiatric Association is a psychiatric disorder that can, ca- that can occur in people who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event, such as a natural disaster, a serious accident, a terrorist act, war or combat, rape, or other violent personal assault. And so, um, Lenny is a war veteran. Um, she was in the Iraq war during the fun period and, (laughs) um, and, uh, was, uh, yeah, was exposed to all all those things actually. Um, (laughs) and, um, yeah, I, I don't want to speak for PTSD because I think that PTSD is something that needs to be spoken from, well, what is your What are your thoughts on PTSD? How about that? I'll just say that.
1: Um, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the definition that you just read, because I think from based off of my experiences and everything I learned through overcoming and working through my shit, um, PTSD can. Anyone can have PTSD whether or not they witness a terrorist act or like do all those things. Because from all the information that I gathered during my recovery from it, if we want to call it recovery, um, or my processing of it, that's a better term, uh, is if your body is in a constant stress reaction, you're traumatizing your body every day. So like for me, just being, even if I hadn't gotten shot at, I hadn't gotten things blowing up near me, you know, like hadn't actually had those real like traumatic events, just being in the war zone where the thought, the idea that someone could kill me at any given time for 365 days straight is enough for your mind to get stuck in the fight-or-flight loop that is what causes the PTSD. Because PTSD is when, from my own experience, when you you have um, a collection of incidences or stress responses that throw you into fight-or-flight mode every time it gets triggered. So for me, so one of my things was loud noises, sudden Mm -hmm. noises would um, trigger my PTSD. Well, obviously, because mortars blew up five meters Mm -hmm. from me, and the only thing that saved my ass was a concrete wall, you know, that's a legitimate response that I would, um, you know, duck and have a physical reaction to hearing a sudden loud noise, right? Mm -hmm. But the same thing could be said of, just being always stressed um, with the thought of something coming in Mm -hmm. can still trigger that same responses. Mm -hmm. So like, there's people who came back from war that never got shot at, never had um, anything traumatic, quote unquote, traumatic happen to them but they still have PTSD because of that stress response and being in that stress response for so long because your cortisone, corti, cortisol cor- cortisone, cortisol, um, levels are elevated so high in those situations. It's, it's actually with this whole corona and the media frenzy and all that that's going on right now. Like The whole world is get, getting traumatized with PTSD right now, if they believe it or not, mm-hmm. because everyone is in this stress response. Everyone is fearing for grandma down the street or themselves or their kid or there's job instability and there's you know all this stuff that everyone knows is going on Mm -hmm. and that's enough for your um there's this part in the brain that activates fight or flight um it goes into your pre-normal senses i forget what it's called yeah, uh, but it, it's this little spot in your brain, and that's enough to overactivate that, which is what causes the PTSD. So it's like clusters of memories that get stored into your body, into your cellular level, that causes the PTSD.
0: Yeah, and I think, and yes, Katie, I believe it is the amygdala, and this is, is are the uh, uh, it's either the amygdala or the hypothalamus. Almost, but I'm pretty sure I I the, the, it. the it's the been a while bowel. since I did my training. And I should know this as a, as a person who, um, has, um, who's, who's, who teaches anatomy. <laughs> but I can't think of it right now because I'm too busy in the psychology of it. <laughs> but, um, yes, I should. Um, but yeah, I can't think of it, but, but yeah, I think all of us are, are, we're we're living this global traumatic moment um, in our lives. And I think if we acknowledge that, then we're already steps ahead of of others who are not acknowledging that. But if we acknowledge it, then we can, we can begin to dissect, you know, or, or acknowledge our own behaviors of, or be able to say to ourselves, this is a this is a temporary experience and it is a traumatic experience and it is a temporary experience. You know, like it is important, I think, to be able to know that this is a unique situation. This is not the way that the world is, but how many times have we heard, you know, a person saying what happens at the end of this? And it's that anxiety of, uh, of fearing the, what happens next that is yeah. the mortar. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, and I also think, like, what happens at the end of this is really dependent on the individual themselves because Mm -hmm. they can either process through what is happening or what, at the end of this, what happened to them or during this, or they can let it fester and never process it and always have issues from it. Like, if you look at where I am today compared to where I was just eight years ago, not, mm-hmm. screw that. Just two years ago, on my um, recovery through my PTSD, um, it's it's night and day. And the difference is is the fact that I was proactive and I did the work to do the mental and cellular level work mm-hmm. um, that it, people don't really talk about or know much about. Like, well, they're starting to get there, but it's it's hard work, and it's pe- it's work that most people aren't willing to take on. Like, yeah doing the work to undo war for me was actually harder than going through war
0: yeah because I imagine so. you
1: actually literally has to like take a journey within your side yourself and mm-hmm. like fight the shit you were running from and come to terms with it and if you had to make um choices that were shitty or shittier, shittier mm-hmm. which is a lot of times the what what you're choosing you're choosing like the shitty choice or the shittier choice mm-hmm. and that goes for the same thing as a single mom mm-hmm. or you know going choosing to visit your parents or not visit your parents right now you know things like that um and and so being able to process and work through that um is the only way that you release it
0: mm. Can you tell us more having a question from Katie asking mm-hmm. about um, about your healing journey and and what that what that was or what that looked um, like Well it's it, it was a very long journey so
1: I was in war for 365 days and then I was in the healing journey from 2007 until last year <laughs> <laughs> And there's still like things things are still coming up too like even though you've like addressed a certain issue or um um an aspect of your trauma it'll it'll come up later in ways that you're like oh i thought i handled you i guess not (laughs) and so like it's, it's like an ongoing thing but to speak more to like what I did and like my journey, it started with going to the VA and taking a questionnaire and they're like, Oh, you need to go see mental health. <laughs> so then when I was in the mental health programs with the VA, they sent me, uh, I, obviously this was all optional. Like I say, they sent me, but like they offered to help mm-hmm. me And um, I took a informational class just to learn what PTT ptsd was and like how it affects you and then i took i I joined in a group um session and then that was like um all all era style um so like there was like um uh, vietnam war vets iraqi war vets Desert storm like like all, Mm all all war um ages and then i went to a small group setting where it was just um, Iraq war vets. Um, I was doing a lot of individual one-on-one work with therapists. They put me on medications for depression and anxiety and sleeping and things like that. Um, then uh, I went to a couple of women's retreats um, for uh, Iraqi Afghanistan veterans only. Those I saw a lot of growth in there were week long, um, intensive retreats, but each both times when I came back from, from them, Mm -hmm. I had like major growth. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I started doing, um, most recently energy work with my energy healer, Kim Pence, shout out, um, (laughs) Kim Pence Light. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, um, uh that's when I, I actually dove into more uh, journey work and really like um, finding pieces of my soul, I guess would be a good way of putting it, that had been lost along the way or mm-hmm. just kind of like put put in, quote unquote, safe
0: places that I couldn't find anymore. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that what um, and there are a plethora of thank yous for, you know, sharing. Um, well, not a plethora, a few, uh, thank yous for sharing your journey, um, and, and sharing this, um, two things come up for me, uh, which is how important your story is for all of us, because whether or not we want to see it right now, we will all need to be doing this work when this is over. And so knowing that it is possible to heal. Um, from something as as difficult as 365 days of war, um, then I think it relates to our own potential for healing. The other thing is that um, actually there, there are two more things. The second thing is that one thing that you have said before, and even on this podcast before, is how your journey to healing um, encompass not only healing from war, but also um, that that reality that there were things before war that were happening that required healing as well. And yeah. I think that we do not realize that we had, before COVID, we had a whole life of shit that required and needed healing and that we either were or were not working on. And now we're in this global trauma and it's just added that on yeah. top of that. So it's like the PTSD that is acquired from war when you already have every, you know, whatever else you have going on before you went to war.
1: Yeah. And a lot of those things you don't even know or realize you have because um, at the surface level, it's not a big thing. It's like maybe some, my mom said this or my mom did this, but on a cellular level, it cut you, it cut you hard, but it Because of the situation, not having the vocabulary mm-hmm. or the definition, you didn't realize mm-hmm. that it's something that needs to be worked on.
0: Yeah, I think that people don't realize that those are little traumas. Mm-hmm. And actually, Dr. Clarissa Estes speaks about that, how when you are the, the wild woman or when you are the black sheep or whatever, when you have been, you know, been in a gaslighting situation, either because of your friendship circle or you were bullied when you were a kid or you were bullied by your own family. I know Brene Brown talks about how she was always the, you know, how she felt like she was an outsider in her own family. And while I don't, you know, have the same, you know, hard on for Brene Brown that a lot of other people do, um, I do think that she speaks to a lot of what is uh, a collection of little traumas um, that happen, you know, in your life that, are significant to your psyche that you don't even realize are happening. And then we come into a big trauma, mm-hmm. you know, the the, the the big situation, a day full of mortaring, you know, which for us is this this situation right now. Um, and when we come into that, then we are made to sit with ourselves in that moment and everything that that moment is telling us about ourselves, all the fear that we have to deal with and all of those things. And everything else that we had before that moment is compounding that situation as well. And I think that this is where, um, um, we, we if we do not understand um, PTSD and we don't understand how to, we don't understand the importance of healing from it and we don't understand the fact that we, we will all experience this, the whole world Outside of some, you know, maybe New Zealand (laughs) or Papua New Guinea or places that didn't really, you know, go through it because of isolation or great leadership. Um, We're all going to be dealing with this collectively as a world, which means that the world will be informed by millions of people, billions of people who have PTSD. That, for me, is a really like, but it doesn't cause me anxiety. What it does cause, evokes in me is a responsibility for my own healing and for my own awareness so that I'm not one of those people who is then leading from the perspective of being traumatized. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the real difference um, of a possible what's on the other side of this or possibility of what's on the other side of this is you're either going to be Living from a perspective of deep awareness, or being, um, or being guided by this 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 PTSD or this anxiety that just continues. Um, one interesting thing that you mentioned was this beautiful um, definition of when it, what anxiety is, which is sitting there and being in a war zone, and and being there, and then. It's the times between the crazy times, you know, the times between the the mortars or the the explosives or whatever. That those times between them are little pockets of anxiety because the the next thing is coming. It's just a matter of when, mm-hmm. um, and so it, it becomes this interesting anxiety building uh, petri dish, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, so yeah, and so I think that it's important for us to know that we are all experiencing this global trauma for the reasons that I've just mentioned. And then I also think that it's really important for us to acknowledge that we're all experiencing collective grief. Mm -hmm. I think if we acknowledge that those two things are happening, we can actually step into healing. So I'm going to speak to, we're going to speak to collective grief. And then we're, and then also, I am going to um, let you guys know some tools at the end of this um, that that you hopefully will be helpful for you. Um, but the the first is when we're when we're looking at grief, um, according to Elizabeth Kubler Ross and David Kessler, there are the five stages of grief. Um, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And they say that this is a part of the framework that makes up our learning to live with loss. Um, and this, and it's I think it was really interesting that there's this word framework. It's a framework that we are are using, and um, like most other frameworks, we we need them, right? Um, and so the first one is denial. And um, of course, Lenny and I have had these conversations about our own things that have been grief inspiring, <laughs> um, or uh, even in this time, like, well, I'm fine, I'm doing fine or whatever, like i'm I'm fine or whatever. And um, you know, we'll all just evolve beyond this or whatever. And, um, and there are other ways of denying that this is a shitty time, you know, like, oh, it's going to be fine. You know, we're, we're just going to be great. You know, so what I wanted to speak to with respect to denial um, is this thing that we see a lot of, especially in quote, conscious communities, which is spiritual bypassing. And this is The opposite of what you just said that you did, which was a lot of work to acknowledge what was going on, to do the work of of learning about what happened, unpack all the things that were made up, what your your healing looked like. Spiritual bypassing, according to my good friends over at Psychology Today, um, is defined as spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep personal or emotional unfinished business and to shore up a shaky sense of self or to belittle basic needs, feelings, and developmental tasks. And people use spiritual bypassing um, to, and, and call it enlightenment. It's like, I don't, I'm I'm a I'm above this feeling because, or I'm just going to meditate through this, or I'm just going to yoga through this, or I'm just going to, um, you know, I'm going to go into this state to just be beyond this moment. It sounds and that's, like numbing. It's exactly that. Is a really nice segue, my darling. It is numbing for me. It's very akin to numbing. Um, it is. Uh, There's a, I I can't remember who who said, (laughs) Sylvia said, I'm blessed and highly favored. Yes, or God will get us through it. Um, You know, for me, this is when people uh, use yoga, meditation, prayer, dogma to just not feel what's happening and to try to elevate beyond the experience to live it. And it, and it's bypassing like we it's it's the attempt at bypassing I don't think it works, um, but there is another um, uh, quote that I pulled and now I can't remember who said it, but it was the foundation of spiritual bypassing is basically avoidance and repression, mm-hmm. and in some sp- individuals spirituality serves as a way to rise above or handle the shaky ground beneath, and I think that it was you, Lenny, who said that like people use spirituality. I mean, I know it's more than you, but you said it on this show that people use um, spirituality as a way to um, um, it's their new addiction. Mm. And, and it's like, yeah, you know, if it's like, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to elevate past this. Like I'm above this moment. I'm above this experience. It is super akin to numbing out. Like, what is it that you are doing when, when you're taking drugs, including alcohol and prescription drugs? Is it not open, numbing out? Is it not trying to bypass that moment of shit that we all have to go through? You know, isn't that it? Or indulging in comfort foods to give us that, you know, doing that emotional eating. It's like, it's like I just need... All I need right now is cake or chocolate. I mean, and I'm saying that because I have done these things, not the drug parts of it, but for sure. Sugar is a very strong drug. Sugar is my DOC, as we know. Um, <laughs> and I was mainlining
1: it all last week.
0: <laughs> we were both free basing sugar for the first two or three weeks <laughs> of <laughs> coronavirus. <laughs> I mean, I feel and let's just be honest. Happy hour is just a whole bunch of people free basing sugar together. Yep. Yeah. I mean and getting a buzz about it. Yeah, it's like it's it's liquid form. You get to just like ah I mean you're not snorting it, but get drinking it. I mean, like, it's just like, it is. And so it's a way of just, of just not having to deal with it for a little while. And I mean, we're going to have to deal with it. We can't, we cannot bypass this shit. You know, the, the obstacles, the path, you know, according to the old Zen proverb, we have to get on the path. We got to walk the path. We have to be in the thick of it. We have to be in the shit of it, or we're not going to heal from it. FYI, shout out to Shars, who's probably trying to see if we're going to end this episode at uh, 4 p.m. And I can tell you unequivocally, no. we will not, <laughs> but we might, we might by 4 15. I feel I feel very uh confident that we will that we will be doing, that we'll be, you know, there. Um so I I think that this is so super important, um, to acknowledge that, that coping mechanism Mm. of spiritual bypassing or numbing through whatever it is that you use to numb. But there's also this thing that is so annoying and it is toxic positivity, which is another thing that is just like hugely annoying, which according to, um, Oh, man, I don't remember where my source was, Um, but it is a culture of portraying yourself as being happy no matter what, like that whole positive vibes only, you know, and it's like, it's impossible because real shit happens, like real problems happen. there's a difference between positive vibes only and being an optimist which Mm. is being able to call a shitty situation what it is and knowing that there's something on the other side of it Mm. but if you're just like being like positive vibes only that's just not helpful to anyone i don't think um so all of it is this spiritual bypassing or this numbing Mm. it's essentially it's like using spirituality to numb or using drugs and alcohol and food to numb, or using toxic positivity to numb. But that's all it is. And it's the denial because we are all in collective grief right now. So it's that first stage of grief. Um, And we all know there's five. And we all know there's five. So, oh shit, there's more. Like We still have four other ways before we get through it. So the other is, so then I've brought two in together, which is anger and bargaining, which for me looks like scapegoating. So when you're scapegoating, you've got that fear of whatever. And so then, and then you're like, oh, I'm so scared of this, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, you know what, this is because of blah, blah, blah. And so we scapegoat using a particular community. And this has led to really horrible horrible situations in history and can have really giant implications personally so i am histo- talking about the crusades right now <laughs> well please tell me you're talking about the Crusades. i mean we are going to go into history because i'm a nerd but <laughs> we according to the anti-defamation league or the adl they're they're essentially are um, describing this scapegoating as blaming an individual or a group for something based on that person or group's identity when the person or group is not responsible. And this bias or pre- prejudicial thinking um, and, and of course, discriminatory acts leads to scapegoating, which then leads to xenophobia. Mm-hmm. And in history, we have seen this as, you know, being f- afraid of all the germs um, from immigrants in the 20s, and then of course being afraid of all of the violence and drug drugs in the in in just last year with immigrants. Immigrants get a lot of scapegoating, FYI. Um, just Especially to because
1: they're not ma- the majority.
0: Yeah, exactly. It is it, easy it, to
1: scape scapegoat the minority.
0: Yes. Yeah, spoiler alert: immigrants are always the the group that gets scapegoated. Um, but I find it really interesting that it was like Italian and, 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 uh, and uh, Irish immigrants mm-hmm. in New York City in the 20s. And then, and just this, in this recent, most recent um, year, it's been like everyone's everyone yeah. south of the border um, and what they're going to bring. And in the early 90s, early 80s, and late 80s with the HIV and AIDS epidemic, There's, of course, crazy. we had gay men. Um, Were the scapegoats and then but interestingly it developed it shifted to Haitians Hmm. like really just Haitians just are some reason for some reason the reason why HIV and AIDS becomes a um, the scapegoats for for this this situation but but of course my favorite in history is actually not the crusades Mm -hmm. my favorite in history is during the Black Plague And this is when Jews. No, no, it didn't lead to the Crusades. That that was had different things going on, but it did lead to the Spanish Inquisition. Um, And the when the Black Plague was happening, which we all know was transmitted through rats and it started through the mosquito and all these things, people were like, "Oh well, Jews brought the Black Plague onto um, our community," and and it. All it did was it created pogroms and genocide against Jewish people. And the crappy thing, besides the fact that pe- many people died, the crappy thing about it is that Jewish folks, after having so many, you know, struggles before that period, you know, before that time frame, had just enjoyed a golden age, mm-hmm. uh, in the Iberian Peninsula, we're like living life, we're producing all of this art and, and, um, and, and writing and all this stuff. And then the Black Plague happens and people are like, it's you, you're the reason for this. So yeah, so it's happened. And today, who's the scapegoat? Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates, they're the scapegoat. Hmm. Uh, they've become this huge, you know, um, these targets for COVID-19 as the people who are somehow responsible for the spread of this disease. And because of Chinese people, well, yeah, well, this is so we've got the conspiracy theorists who are like, it's Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates. And then we have everybody else who's a racist, who's blaming Chinese people and Asians in general. Yeah. Yeah, Like, how are we going to blame an entire continent of people? I mean it's not the first, first time in history. It's not the first time in history. It mean, really is our, our go-to. But my god, how are we going to just say Asians? Like how did we say just Muslims? Well, exa- exactly. How did we say just the Jews? Because it's easy. It's, it's not you. It's easy. It's easy and it's lazy. It's emotional and spiritual laziness. And um, work harder than you need to, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because this xenophobia has been nuts nuts the i want to just mention really quickly al jazeera network reported in an article on april 6 this is this is almost a month before now so god help us where we are right now that there have been numerous reports of anti-asian racism anti-asian not even chinese like everyone gets thrown into the same pot together so anti-asian racism on the streets of australia india and the united kingdom and in the united states the reporting forum Stop AAPI Hate has recorded more than 1,100 instances of anti-Asian harassment since being set up just in late March. So this is less than, this, is, uh, this was written weeks after that, pro, that um, uh, receptacle of information was, or that site for information was set up and we're already at 1100 instances. And that was 24 days ago. So imagine where we are right now, Hmm. you know, and then, you know, and it all just starts up with, with some, you know, someone looking for someone to hate because of anger and then bargaining, because the thing is, is so if we get rid of all the Chinese people, then we're finished with this. That's literally not how it works. That's not how it works is impossible, but that combination of anger and bargaining is scary. Mm-hmm. That, that combination is Jim Crow. That combination is, you know, burning people at the stake. That that's the whole witchcraft situation. That combination is the crusades. The combination is, you know, um, massive rapes in South Africa of, le- of lesbian women, and 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 having you know to try to fix them, you know that combination is scary as hell. Especially when people who have traditionally held power are the ones wielding it. Mm. Um, and of course, that combination is the Holocaust. So people, you know, are currently targeting Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates. But I think you know the which is hilarious because there are a lot of people who are quote woke. Who are targeting um, Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates? Which was actually this whole conspiracy was developed by a super, 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 a far right wing Trump supporter, at, who put gave a whole exegesis on this. It was a two thousand word post, which is of course an essay at that point and out of it politifact found only four factual statements and they were like yes the bill and gates the bill and melinda gates foundation is a donor it is a donor to the world health organization <laughs> like they were only like like facts that are that are that were you know non harmful facts so i just think that it is interesting that in this experience of of grief of losing Um, what is what we feel is normal in our lifestyles and all of those things that we start going through these stages of grief. And one of them, or two of them, end up uh, bringing us to scapegoating, which we're Mm -hmm. seeing across communities, amongst racist, amongst theoretical, you know, woke people and all of those things. And we're not even talking about all the people who are posting all of the news that is reported on YouTube. FYI, YouTube is not a news source um, <laughs> of you know doctors saying, this is why it's happening. This is blah, 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 blah. It's still just bargaining to try to get people to, maybe if I get enough information, then this will stop. And it's like, no, we're literally just going to have to walk the difficult path of this. That's, that's it, that's it. And then finally we get to, you know, um, the paths of, of it as depression, um, the last two paths of depression and acceptance. And I won't even spend a lot of time on depression because depression is normal. There's, there's no sidestepping depression. Like if you're, if you're in that point of stress response and you're in fright mode and freeze mode, depression's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Depression is normal until it becomes, your state of living and then it becomes like a medical issue and then you need to like seek get some help professional help for that and possible medication to realign the hormones in your brain but yeah
0: yeah and i think that depression is one of those things at least for me when i've when i've had when i've been in depressive states before like the death of my mom um, of course, you know whenever there are anniversaries of her death or her birthday coming up, or when I have had really shitty situation circumstances in my life and they've caused you know depressive states. There were always those moments where I was like, "I don't. I'm going to a place where I might not be able to crawl out of this." And it was that that acknowledgement, that notice. But depending um,
1: on where you are in your life, you or where you are in your. Wokeness of yourself, like you might not notice that. Like I know when I first was in my deepest depressions, I didn't notice it for a long time.
0: Mm. So, and this is where it's really important to to have people in your life who um, are going to be able to to point that out. And these aren't the people who will gaslight you; they're the people who are going to be able to say, "Hey, I've noticed you've been here for a while. Have you gotten some help?" Um, and it's also where we can start, where we need to really pay attention to all of the things that um, we are, the hygiene of what we're taking in mentally. And I will- um, And physically. And physically, yeah, all of it. Um, and of course, um, <laughs> uh, I think that acceptance of our state of, of, of grief right now is so empowering. It's so empowering and it can cause anxiety because once we've accepted the situation at hand, then there can be you know, the anxiety of not really knowing what to do with that information. But you know, we do know that, as I mentioned earlier, anxiety is the body's natural response to stress mm-hmm. and, and there is a fear about what is to come once we've accepted where we are, there can be that that twinge of anxiety that comes back. That is a what now. Mm. So what I wanted to do to to um, um, in this third part of our and final part of the podcast, um, which is give some tools that we can use. And of course, Lenny, if you have any other tools that you have used or things that you want to say, jump right in. But, for, but the question is, what can we do now? Remember that at the beginning of this, or in the middle somewhere, somewhere in this, I stated we're essentially experiencing two things. We're in a global trauma that, that will seed PTSD, mm-hmm. and we're also in collective grief. And that collective grief over what is our world, you know, the loss of what we felt was the norm of what our world is. Mm-hmm. So what can we do now? Turn off media. <laughs> yes. Mental hygiene. I think we, we need, we strive toward arriving at correct knowledge or truth is the first thing. Truth of, you know, like, am, is, am I, what am I watching? What am I? So yoga, yoga sutra yoga philosophy 1.7 talks about how we arrive at facts or correct knowledge. And it is created through what we directly observe, what we interpret and what we read. And so that means that all three of those things are creating facts for us at given any given time. Hopefully those facts are true. So in order to, to get out of this um, with some health is to use all three of those things and to, to bring them in the balance. What am I reading? What am I watching? And what am I listening to? Including the people around me and myself. So like... If, if if But the people around me are really important. And if the people around us are saying, hey, I feel like, you know, you may be going to a place. If we have chosen those people correctly, they're not gaslighting in us. They're our mirrors. They're the people who can, like, shine truth back to us.
1: And sometimes you don't like what you see in that mirror just saying.
0: Yeah, sometimes that mirror is, like, hard to see. I don't want to see it. But it, we need to acknowledge that sometimes we're just reading things that are not helpful. We're watching things that are not helpful, like watching hours and hours of YouTube of people who are actively spiritual bypassing, mm-hmm. or who are actively denying through the use of social, s- social media to project toxic positivity. That is, that is something we can control. And that is something that is what we can use to move beyond or to, to actually acquire truth. Another is um, is gaslighting. Are we gaslighting ourselves? Are we are like don't be your own bully? You know, <laughs> like, um, we've already talked about gaslighting and other people, gaslighting us. But realistically, if you feel like shit, you got to honor your own feelings about that, mm. and not be uh, not be not be gaslighting your own self. If this is something that you feel and you can directly observe yourself feeling it, that's truth. Hmm. Now, what's informing how you feel might be untruths or disinformation or whatever, but how you feel is true. And so it's important to, to not be your own billion to honor your, your feelings. So, so honor how you feel and then practice discernment um with respect to what you're reading listening to and seeing because the truth is is that what you feel is true but what is creating that feeling might be a load of bullshit hmm. get present so bring yourself back to the present presents. moment i love presence too but we're not talking about those Dang we're it. talking about presence with the c Dang it. so we <laughs> coming back to the present moment is actually there's a really simple tool that you can use and you don't even have to write it down. All you have to do to come back to the present moment is look at three, point out three objects. So you just sit, you open your eyes and you look at three objects and name them. Right now I see a plant, a green plant. I see apples. I see my wife. Those are three objects. I've come back to the present moment. It's very simple. And it's a very easy way to bring you back into the present moment. And then you can follow up with that question of what am I feeling right now? I am not an object. You are an object of my desire. <laughs> Anywho, so this is how can you come back into the present moment? Another way you can come back into the present moment is also through pranayama or breath work. So, but you can close your eyes and just focus on your breath. You can do what's called same breath breathing or samavriti pranayam, which is just breathing for counter breaths and breathe for the same inhale for the same number as your exhalation. You can do dirga pranayama, which is three part breath, which is filling up your breath from your belly at first and then your, your ribs and then your collarbones. I have a tutorial on this, on uh, my YouTube page. So find that YouTube page. Um, or you can just follow your breath for a while. Do it for five minutes. It's a great way to come back to presence. And Eckhart Tolle has this great way of coming into presence by just lying down or sitting and just focus on feeling your hands. And I love that too, because that's that's quite easy. So so far I've given you um, uh, acquire correct knowledge or truth. Do not gaslight yourself. acknowledge your feel acknowledge and honor your feelings. Get present. And by getting present, you can do that to the seeing three things tool, pranayama or breath work using the same breathing or the three part breathing, and then also that presence of just feeling your hands. And then you can also practice yoga asana or movement. Yin yoga makes you work, but that work is intuitive and internal. So it gives you something to do and something to look for when you really need to do have something to do. You could practice restorative yoga, which will actually invite rest because each pose is received instead of fought for. And so it takes you out of stress response, takes you out of fight, flight, freeze, or fright mode by inviting rest. And some of us are not sleeping right now. So doing restorative yoga for 20 minutes before you go to bed or an hour before you go to bed is a recipe to get you to sleep. Then you could do hatha or forest yoga. I don't recommend doing vinyasa yoga right now. And I know I have a vinyasa teacher on the line, but I don't recommend it right now. Um, I recommend Hatha and Forest Yoga right now because it it makes you work and it utilizes the concept of tapas of discipline to pure uh, to, to help you burn off um, your thoughts and the karmas of the day and all of that. You can practice Kriya Yoga to purify yourself in the body. But it doesn't get into the competitive nature of vinyasa yoga, which might be something that you're personally working on during this time. If you're competitive or ego driven um, during this during, as, as your nature, then doing a vinyasa yoga can definitely get you tripped up and get you back into that ego um, mindset of why can't I do this? I'm not doing. Now, if you're enlightening and you're transcending, you can always use that as a practice of self-study and say, oh, this is why I do what I do. This is when I do what I do. But um, <laughs> but if you are competitive nature and the yoga that you have been doing is a competitive type of yoga, then doing hatha or forest is cultivating the opposite which will bear fruits, according to the great yogis. Um, Shars, who is our vinyasa flow teacher on this thread, is saying, if your yoga is competitive, are you doing yoga? No, you're not. But you don't know that you're not doing yoga and you're just exercising or doing calisthenics. And you may have realized that about yourself. And as the... um, as the uh, the oh my goodness I'm losing my mind as the um, the so, well I can't remember which group of yogis but as they would say these are a group of ancient yogis would say anything in life can be a poison or a blessing and so if you are doing a yoga that that is uh, creating or or delving into your ego self more then that yoga is your poison, not your blessing. Um, and Shars says, as she did last time, perhaps a combo, a combo for another day. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> oh, Will hopped on and he said he has that effect on people. Will, I missed you earlier, man. Plus, we needed some more men on this, and you and Mark arrived late today. So next time, we'll have more time. Right now, we're in the recap. Um, so you've got your yin yoga, your restorative yoga, hatha forest yoga. I don't recommend vinyasa yoga. Other people will. But this gets you out of the funk of sitting. And then most importantly, get into nature. Period. Get your vitamin D. Period. Body Vitamin D. Get your vitamin D. And I don't mean that one. I mean (laughs) the vitamin D that comes into your body through being in the sun, get into nature, let the air purify you. You are not quarantined. You probably most of us in the U S are not quarantined. We're in, we are in social distancing. So if you are not quarantined, then there's something really therapeutic about seeing other humans and animals in nature. Get out into nature. The earth is forcing you to pay attention to her. So go outside and listen, listen. All right. I think we've done a lot here. I think we've done a lot of work and um, we went a little past what I had hoped we would do. However, I hope that you have found some knowledge and some ways to move beyond or to be in this experiment that we're having together and for you to actually enlighten and come out on the other side of it, because this is an experiment of humanity right now. An experiment. It's a human experiment. experiment. It's an experiment. Is it experience? It's that too, but it's an experiment. It's, we're experimenting with what you're going to do. What are you going to do at the end of this? When they come are you, for you. Are you going when to them. enlighten, or are you going to be in the same, you're going to be the same dumpster fire that you were before this? <laughs> so. Oh, hello, um, the dumpster fire. I would like to thank all of you for being here. Um, And being a part of this conversation, whether it be through music or or I'm sorry, whether it be through um, um, your own words or just your own energy, I really appreciate you. This will be replayed. So look for the replay and share it with anyone who wasn't able to to come on or share it with people who need to just need some perspective
1: need to rise up, enlighten, move beyond the grief state that they're currently in.
0: Let's transcend this shit, transcend this shit. All right, thank you guys so much for being a part of this conversation. I appreciate you, and for those who came on late, please come on earlier, we'll be on next week, Thursdays at 3 Um, (laughs) p.m., so come through, be on time, don't be late for class, all right? It's my goal to leave be better than I found you. I hope that happened for you today. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs>